Welcome to the ACC Podcast. We're honored that you took some time out of your day to listen to our weekly message. We know that everyone is currently operating in a new normal as we are all experiencing some life-altering challenges during this difficult time in our world. We hope that these messages offer some reassurance and it reminds you that our hope does not lie in man, but in God and his plan for all of us. If you have any questions about ACC, like our core beliefs, where we are located, or other key information, check out our website, anacorduschristian.church. That's anacorduschristian.church. You can contact us directly through our website or by phone or email. We look forward to hearing from you. As for now, take some time to sit down, get comfortable, and enjoy the message. Yeah. 
worship band before. Imagine getting a ringside seat to watch someone actually step into the ring and to try to take on God. I think that's a, a little glimpse or a little picture into what the book of Daniel is giving us. A ringside view of multiple kings and rulers, both on an earthly level, more in the first part of the book, and a cosmic level, stepping into the ring with God. I mean, some of you guys may be out there missing sports because it's been a month or a couple months now since you've been able to watch live sports. But you don't get any better than this. And over the next several weeks to months, we'll be exploring the, the book of Daniel and this showdown that's taking place. We're going to spend the next couple of months going through this book, getting this ringside seat. And to let you know right at the beginning, even though the book of Daniel is named after Daniel, the hero, the main character of the story isn't Daniel. Now, he's maybe the, the, the second or the main second character in the story, but the main character, the main hero of the book of Daniel, just like the rest of the Bible, is God the Father. You see, the ultimate show is not between the king the kings and powers of this world and God. The ultimate show really is even between God and Satan. I mean, that battle, the, the end of that battle has already been fully determined. The ultimate show is between me and God. And here's the question I hope it'll answer. What does it mean to be in a showdown with him? And what does it look like to live a life fully yielded to Him? Here's the beginning of the book of Daniel, because there's a lot of crazy things that are going to happen again, probably mostly in the second half of the chi- of the book. I have a picture that Joe Hoover gave in a newsletter just uh, a few months ago. And I want to share it with you as a way to start to get your mind around the book of Daniel and what it's like to be involved in a showdown with God. Or even what it's like to just be in a relationship with him. He starts off by saying, no, this is just my opinion. I'm not trying to write some doctrinal thesis. This is just my way of working through the mental gymnastics of trying to figure out the force of God, how he knows the future. And he gives this example. He talks about Damien Lillard of the Portland Trailblazers. Now, I know who this was. I spent some time this week watching highlights of Damian Lillard. He's a NBA basketball player. Incredible. That's amazing things. You know, I'm not a huge NBA fan, so I didn't know who he was. Feel free to go take, check out some highlights. Uh, not right now, but after this is over. He said, suppose that you and Damian Lillard of Portland Trailblazer fame competed with each other. Your basketball skills against his one-on-one. Damien would win, he would be able to accurately predict the score of every game. This knowledge of the future score may be explained in one of two ways. One, Mr. Lewis has the ability to perceive events before they happen. Or two, his basketball skills are so far superior to yours that he determines what the score will be for each game and makes it happen. The second way, in my opinion, is more likely. The basketball star may let your shot ascend to the rim unaltered whenever he wills. 
and get any shot of yours that he pleases. Your best defense against him, on the contrary, would hinder him not. With his speed, he would go you easily, and he could shoot over you as if you were not even there. So you are free to try to you with in the realm of basketball, but Damien rules. I love that. And Joe Bill's newsletter, but I just wanted to give that picture because to get a taste of what the book of Daniel is about, I think that's a good picture of how we can see God work throughout the book. To get a taste of this, I want to quickly skim through one of the first major shows in the first four chapters of the book of Daniel. And on one side of the ring, God the Father. And on the other side, King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, the great, this mighty nation. I mean, King Nebuchadnezzar, his name means now the God is my inheritance. So it's, it's a spiritual, it's a very physical showdown that happens, but if you also recognize there's a spiritual showdown that's happening in the book of Daniel. So we have Nebuchadnezzar on one side and we have God on the other. Like I said, the king of Babylon, mighty nation, no nation on the earth could stand in his way. We will unpack this story more in the coming months. But right now, I just want to take a quick bird's eye view of Nebuchadnezzar's story and the showdown between him and God. From an earthly vantage point, it appears that King Nebuchadnezzar scores the first point. Let me read from Daniel 1, just the first two verses of the first chapter. It says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God. So here we go. Nebuchadnezzar, there's God. And as King Nebuchadnezzar is scoring the first point in this showdown, Besieging God's holy city of Jerusalem and carrying off some of its most sacred possessions and putting them in Nebuchadnezzar's own God's house. It was a way of saying, hey, you guys think your God's mighty. You haven't met anything yet. I'm Nebuchadnezzar, and your gods are subject to mine. It would be easy to perceive it that way, but some things in the story point to the fact that things aren't always what they seem. Did you notice what it said? The Lord gave Jehoiakim into his hand along with the vessels. So while it appears that the king strikes first, we realize that just like in Joseph's analogy of us playing one-on-one with Damien Luke, there's, no, there's more here than meets the eye. You see, when you step into the with God, things aren't always what they seem. Things are what they seem when you're in you're when you're in the ring with God. I don't know what you're facing right now. I don't know what your week has looked like. I don't know what things are upside down. You know, about seven weeks into all this craziness of everything being shut down, the world may seem a little bit upside down. It may seem like God is not holding up His side of the bargain in your life. But just know that when you're in the ring with God, things aren't always as they seem. He's playing on a totally different level. There's no clue 
text that we don't have much time to unpack. It's kind of a little foreshadowing that's going on here. Because if you'll notice where this talk about Nebuchadnezzar took the golden vessels and he put them where? He put them in his God's temple in the land of Shinar. And if you want more background on that, just go back to Genesis 11 to read kind of the last thing that happened in the land of Shinar. But there's this foreshadowing going on. Because if you were to read about it, you're to hear that things don't go well when you're when you choose to defy God. And again, that was Genesis 11. It has to do with the land of Shinar. But just know that again, things don't end well in the long term for you for you when you choose to defy God. Now uh, you can also see, and this story may re- kind of bring to mind what happened in First Samuel 5 when the Philistines capture the ark and they're like. Ha! We've captured this guy, and at the end of the story, only seven months later, we see them sitting back with treasures saying, Give me I can't handle it, because things don't end well in the long term for you when you choose to defy God. You know, today, I wouldn't say that's a unique time in history, but I do think that it feels like we're more unique time in our country's history. When it comes to publicly defying God, or trying to regulate worshiping God to something that you do, maybe just within your own church building, or maybe even just in your home, but not out in public, not out in society. Do it in your home, do it in your church, but keep it out of the public eye. Next, even public worship has been deemed with the title, not. Essential. I mean, you know, you can go and do many things that are essential, but this is not essential. And of course, I have to say that's not why we're currently meeting in our homes rather than the church building. We recognize that worship of God is an optional act confined to a time and a place. It is an essential way of living. It's a lifestyle that defines every moment and every place we go as Christ followers. We as a church made the decision to voluntarily suspend our public worship time for a season because it was best for our people and our community. But those, the words of opposition towards those who trust in Jesus Christ are growing stronger and will continue to blow stronger in the coming days. And that's why we need to study the book of Daniel as we see God's people walk through times of, of hardship, times of exile. See, King Nebuchadnezzar continues his defiance. He takes some young men, and we'll learn more about this next week, God's men. He renames them after his own God, and, and he tries to make them in his own image. And he just they say, God, let this show you bring on. I'm the king here. He's in the corner. The show continues as the king arrogantly tries to exert his dominance over God and his people. We see again and again that all the king appears to be in charge and wait because the king, right? He's got the castle. He's got the, the servants. He's got the, the money. He's got all the money. Everything is stacked in his favor if you're looking at it from an earthly standpoint. But again and again, he comes to realize that he is dealing with a power that he cannot even begin to understand. Not just a power for the present, but a power over the future. A power who knows the king's dreams while he's laying 
on his bed. How do you actually put the dream in the first place and what's to use the king's dream and what to interpret for him in this show that's going on? Of course, we're talking about God, the power of God. King Nebuchadnezzar learns that God's food is better, God's wisdom is better, God's future is better, God's kingdom is better. It's a kingdom that will never be destroyed. God's power and protection, even in the face of the worst possible torture, the king can throw God's people, the fiery furnace. God's protection is far greater than anything King Nebuchadnezzar can imagine. And as the ship goes on, we see here the, qu- the critical question for the king. It's this, will King Nebuchadnezzar yield to God's glory? Or will he continue to try and hold on to his own? In his own arrogance, will he yield to God's glory? Or will he continue to hold on to his own? And of course, I have to stop and look at myself, look at you and say, what about you? Are you going to show God right now? Again, you may say, no, that's different, something like that. But you see, here's the thing. The only question that matters is this. Have you yielded to Him yet, or have you not? Or I should say, are you yielding to Him right now, or are you not? There's no place in between to stay. You're either living or yielding to Him, or you're not. I said this earlier, I'll say it again. The ultimate show is not between the king's power and powers of this world and God. It's not even between Satan and God. The ultimate show is between you and God. Will you yield to him or will you not? He gives every opportunity to see and experience God's glory, but he holds on tightly to his own. In the face of incredible evidence and overwhelming power that we'll be setting here in the next few weeks, say, no, this is about my glory. I'm the king. I'm the one who conquers nations. I'm the one who did all He does not realize what God says in Isaiah 42 8. I'm the Lord. That is my name, my glory, I give to no other. in the ring, holding to his glory. He's given a picture of the destruction that he is bringing on himself by continuing to hold to his glory. He's given this picture in the face of incredible evidence and overwhelming power. He holds on until one day he looked at his kingdom, he walks up to his castle and he says, what? Look at my glory. Look at what my has done. And if King Nebuchadnezzar is the only person in the Bible, and as we get to this, we're going to see a lot of parallels between King Nebuchadnezzar, between Babylon and Egypt and Pharaoh. There's a lot going on in here. But King says, well, look at what my has done. Look at my glory. And then, boom, the final blow is dealt. And I ask you again, what does your story look like? Are you still holding on to your glory, or are you yielding to His? See, this is the fascinating part of the Bible in the book of Daniel. We are talking about a pagan king. 
I mean, God could have just fixed him up, had him done the right this thing. But what is the point of these showdowns? What is the point of God's showdowns? Is it domination? Is God just trying to prove to King Nebuchadnezzar, hey, you have nothing. You, who do you think you are? Is he just trying to God? Is it domination? No, it's not about domination. It's an invitation from God. God graciously invites the king, and he's graciously inviting you and me, saying, lay down your glory at my feet. Give to me and join me and experience a glory that you can never imagine. And at the end of the story, we see King Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel 4, 34 through 37. He said, lifted up his eyes, and my spirit returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And nothing can stay his hand or say, what have you done? And that said, at the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom and majesty and splendor returned to me. And I'll skip down to verse 37. Now Nebuchadnezzar prayed and extolled and honored the king of heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. The point of the show wasn't domination, it was an invitation to the king, saying, would you yield to me? And this amazing story, this pagan king who God uses and gives the strength and gifts, and we'll find out more that God's the one who's given him everything he's had, and yet finally at the end, King Nebuchadnezzar yields his life. I always show with God. The only question is, which side of the ring are you on? His or yours? How do you yield your life to His glory? Are you living that way currently or are you trying to hold to your own? And again, you may be thinking, but God is making sense right now. If He's so great, why is all of this stuff happening? Why does it look like the other side is winning when I'm trying to be on His side and yet all of this hardship and difficulty is coming? Things are always what they seem when you're in the ring with Him. He never tells us it will be easy. He tells us the opposite. John 16, 33, Jesus says, In this world, you will have trouble. And when you're with me, you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. God wants us in the ring with Him. He invites you into the ring with Him. That's why He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to come to this earth, to take Every obstacle that would get in the way is responding to his invitation. We couldn't have even gotten close to the ring without Jesus Christ clearing the way to join him, to become like him, to become a disciple. What is a disciple? It's one who is like Jesus, one who lives like him. A disciple so that we would not have to live our life yielded, fully yielded all about His glory and not my glory. 
He gives us baptism as this picture of what is fully yielding our life, of living out, of surrendering, of dying to our old self, that glorious start of life, and living with Him. And He says at the end of the Great Commission in Matthew 28 20, and He says, And sure, I'll be with you always to the very end of the age. He wants us in the church on his side. And he says, I will be with you. But I don't know what your week has been like. This week is thinking about God used the hardship of the church to convert a pagan king in King, ne- king Nebuchadnezzar. And as I think about the intense stress of my week, as I was thinking about this sermon, I mean, for me, I've probably said before, you know, sermon weeks can be more stressful weeks for me. Uh, so, the sermon, and then, you know, I should know by now, it should be, I could put it on my calendar, that any time, and you may notice this too, you know, there's certain events in life where you know the stress is hot, and then you should just expect the opposition, the hardship, and I should know these weeks, but I don't always, I'm not, I'm sometimes caught on guard, and again, this week, right, sure, at the water district that I manage, I had multiple midnight phone calls where I had to go up. And I was tired because it was happening on back-to-back nights. There were problems that were, were, were starting for multiple days. And I had projects that I wasn't planning on that I was trying to work on the sermon and stuff. And yet these projects came and they were taking all of my time. And my stress level was just getting higher and higher. At the top of that, we're trying to fill out paper right now for possibly purchasing the home that we live in. And, you know, these are just all brand new stuff. And my stress level was way higher. And as I was thinking about all this difficulty and thinking like, man, I can't wait till it's just all over. I just kind of want to go sit on the couch. But through looking at this sermon that God often uses the hardship, the hardship of my being in the with him, even though to just be smooth sailing, I think the hardship points out my need for him. And I heard someone say this a, a few weeks ago. They made a statement that went something like this: "The pain and the hardship is all worth it just to experience the comfort of his presence." And as I think about my stress level this week and realizing, you know what? It's in the middle of the hardship and the difficulty that I'm most aware of His presence. Or I'm most aware of my need for His presence, even if it doesn't feel close to me right now. Not hardship, difficulties, points out my need for other people. To share pain with me and to hold hope for me when I don't think I can hold on any longer. And I know that's more challenging right now in this season where we can't be together, or at least we can't be together in the same way. But the phone calls or the walks that I got to experience this week with brothers in Christ that I could share my stress with and just, they didn't step in and try to fix it, but they carried it with me. Hardship points out my need for God makes me more aware my need for Him. It points out my need for others. And I believe also that hardship and pain of this showdown give the best opportunity to draw close to others around us by entering into their pain with them. Not by fixing it, 
but just by being with them and holding out the hope of Jesus Christ, even when they aren't sure that they can go on. I believe hardship gives us the best opportunity to fulfill the Great Commission as we not only live it out in our own life, but as we're there with other people holding out the hope of Jesus Christ, saying, I will be with you just as Jesus Christ is here with me. I believe the book of Daniel will show us that there's much more going on in this world than we can ever see with our eyes. And I pray that you will enter into this week prepared to live your own glory and comfort and fully yield yourself to his glory. King Nebuchadnezzar finally did that. And experienced what at first appeared to him to be his greatest nightmare, yielding his glory to God's glory. But at the end of the story, he realized that what he thought was his greatest nightmare of losing his glory became his greatest triumph. Are you ready to join him now? I don't know what your journey looks like. I don't know what your level of yielding looks like right now. I don't know what hardship or pain that you're facing, but I know that Jesus Christ is there ready for you to yield your life to him. And I want to give you this thought from 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. As we think about the showdowns, the hardship, the difficulty, the fact that God wants us in the ring with him, but things aren't that seem. It says this, So do not lose heart. The self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Would you pray with me? Father, this morning we are grateful for the privilege to look into your word and to just start trying to scratch the surface of this book, Father. And it's in the Old Testament, and yet we know that it points to Jesus Christ. He is the ultimate one who came and engaged on the showdown so that we could be with you in the ring. Lord, I pray for every person that's sitting here listening. I pray that you would speak your word deep into their hearts and make them aware of where they are yielding or maybe where they're not yielding, Lord. Make them aware. Lord, if they've never reached out to you and back to their self and turned their life over to you and experienced what it would be like to move from one side of the ring to your side of the ring, Lord, to, to move from their to your glory. I pray now that they would fall on their face so they would bow their heads and just say, Lord, I don't want to stand on my side of the ring anymore. I want to move over to yours. Or maybe, Lord, the stress level is high. Maybe it's unemployment. Lord, maybe it's uh, maybe it's like others, family members we've had this week, Father, uh, lose a baby um, before they're born. Uh, Maybe there's other pain and hardship. I don't know what they're going through, Father. I pray that they would yield to you, and I pray that you would come in and show them your presence in their life, that you would bring other people to be present with them. Whether that's through the phone, whether that's knocking on the door and dropping off a gift, whatever that looks like, I pray that you would make it happen. I pray that they would reach out and and call the phone number that they can call, Father, for prayer to, to yield to you this morning. We're grateful for the privilege of knowing you worshiping you, living a lifestyle, a whole eternity of worship for us. We look forward to you. In Jesus' name. 
Thanks again for joining us today. We want to remind you that we love you and God loves you, and you always have a place here at Anacortes Christian Church, even if it's virtually for now. Please don't hesitate to reach out to us if you need prayer or if you just need someone to talk to. Go in peace and have a wonderful week. We'll talk to you soon.